Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, we're going to get to your podcast, but Episode. not yet. Yep. Not yet, because we have a special announcement uh, for October 2018. We're having our first ever national gathering for Gravity Leadership at the end of October, October 26th through 27th, happening in Indianapolis. There's a limited number of tickets. Yep. We can only fit so many people in that room, Ben. Yep. Uh, so, Hardman, Ben Hardman, will you give us an idea of uh, cast some vision about why we would want to come to this event yeah so we our hope is that it becomes much more of a collaborative event than a delivery event uh one of the things that we hear often from leaders that we coach and spend time with is uh you guys feel like family i feel like we connect i feel like i'm not crazy when i'm around you i feel like we speak <laughs> yes. the same language yes. uh and and it feels like family when we're together and so we had a, kind of wanted to create a family reunion uh, a pilgrimage of sorts an opportunity for some like-minded leaders to get in a room and collaborate and talk and so this year's topic is uh, what is the, this year's topic? Life Wait, how, on mission. <laughs> <laughs> how do we articulate? It's life on mission in a busy world, and so uh, we want to we, we want to convene some conversations around um, some of the unhelpful work that trying to convince people to live on mission does. Um, some of the work that we uh, have begun to experience in terms of like developing practices uh, rather than values for our church. Um, and, and how all that kind of fits together into living kind of one integrated life. Yes, and if mission isn't, isn't service projects right. and, and like drop-in evangelistic uh, bla- blast your neighbors, like how do, we, how do we cultivate a sustained, authentic uh, presence for Christ in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our world? Well, we're going to have those conversations. We're going to ask questions. Mm-hmm. We're going to, uh, there may be some laughs. Maybe some tears. Maybe some I hope tears. So. Well, be- not tears. I hope for laughs. Okay. I mean tears. I'm hoping for too. tears, though. We'll let other people cry. <laughs> I'll tell some. I'll tell some really sad stories. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and really I'll tell, sad. I'll tell some bad jokes and make you cry. Yeah. And then we're gonna have like a, lots of relational time, yeah. hanging out in the backyard. So, yeah. friends, you can, fire pits. Yes, fire pits. Uh, and again, it's gonna be you know, very few people. So. Yeah. How do I sign up for this, Ben? Yeah, if you guys head to gravityleadership.com slash gathering, all the information is there. You can register. There's group discounts, so we encourage you to like bring friends, bring a team from your church, uh, bring some staff members, bring your uh, other pastors that you know. Your from neighbor's your city. kids. Bring, bring your, your neighbor's, neighbor's kids. <laughs> well, maybe leave them. Maybe leave them. But yeah, there's, <laughs> we're excited about it. There's going to be lots of Q&A. There's going to be lots of discussion, lots of talking over meals, lots of time to reflect and kind of workshop implications for your own life and ministry, lots of time to talk informally, develop new friendships. It's going to be awesome. Gravityleadership.com slash gathering, October 26th and 27th. Hope you guys can make it. See you there. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life 
is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Um, it's really good. Hey, I'm, I'm really grateful that you press, you saw this in your list of podcast episodes that you could listen to right now, and you said, huh, oh, I'll listen to that one, and you pressed play on our podcast episode, and you're here, and, we're, and you're listening to us. I'm really grateful for that. Assuming it wasn't an accident. <laughs> right. Well, if it was an accident, just stick with us. Yeah. It's going to be great. Don't worry. It's going to be awesome. Hey, uh, we're in the middle of this series uh, where we're talking about what we're learning about women and men. Uh, leading together in the church, um, we have been learning tons uh, over the past few years, but also learning tons as we interview people and as we talk uh, on this podcast, as we record these episodes and hear people's stories, we're learning tons and tons uh, as we go. And uh, today, we're going to hear more stories. Uh, we've got with us on the podcast, Jeff and Sid Holzclaw. Um, Hello. Hey, guys. It's great to Hi. have you. It's wonderful to have you with us. And Matt Tebby is also here, yeah, uh, I'm, my co-host I'm and, here. and co-founder. Um, little known fact uh, is that Matt and Jeff used to work together at Life on the Vine Church in the suburbs of Chicago way back in the day. Yes, we did. Amen. So, yeah. So anyway, Jeff and Sid are friends from a long time ago, and uh, we wanted to interview them about what they're learning, about uh, working together. They're both uh, pastors. They've both very recently made a move to uh, the... Uh, the reformed hub of the United <laughs> States, right? West, Western right. Michigan? Home sweet home. One of, huh? one of them. One of them. The Christian yeah, there's publishing hub yeah, of yeah. Grand Rapids. Yeah, Grand Rapids. Uh, Sid, why don't you tell us what, what, about yeah, your what move are you guys up to? And where, you, where you are now and uh, introduce kind of what you're doing. Yeah, well, so our move, it was two weeks ago that we left our home of 15 years in Chicago. Mm, and we time. are... Staying temporarily at a cottage on Lake Michigan in the little town of Montague, which is about an hour outside of Grand Rapids, while we wait for our seller to vacate the house as he's waiting to move into his new house. So he has until September 30th. We're hoping it goes a little sooner than that. Um, in the meantime, we are trying to do schoolwork on the beach, and Jeff oh. and I are trying to start our new job of co-pastoring together at Vineyard North in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Um, where we are the pastors of families of youth. Families so in the meantime, youth. we're really suffering through um, gorgeous sunsets over Lake Michigan and and uh, stars full, like you cannot believe wow. full Milky Way displays. So uh, it's tough. I'm, so- so. I'm sorry, guys. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what God it calls. Me, <laughs> it makes me think of that movie Silence. You know those Jesuit missionaries. You guys are probably experiencing. Uh-huh. No, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Uh, no, it's great. So you guys made this move. In the sense that the, it's really quiet. We don't have any traffic. And, and the stars, no probably the and stars the, too, There are stars right? in yeah. common as well. Yeah. No, that's great, you guys. Um, yeah, so we are telling our stories because uh, we're not simply, we're not advocating for certain positions, but we are advocating for uh, having relationships that are redeemed, where men and women can lead alongside each other in ministry and we can actually have something to offer as Christian leaders to not only our churches and families within those churches, but to the world. So love to hear your stories uh, as you maybe have, uh, maybe, you maybe have grown up 
<laughs> As you've maybe grown, you might maybe. have been getting older. Over you the last maybe few years. changed. You maybe changed. So, uh, Sid, will you start off by telling us your story? Uh, like growing up, what was your thought of women in the church, and how has that morph shifted, matured as you've gotten older? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I actually grew up in a very feminist um, household, in the sense that um, my mom was an only child, raised by a very um, strong father. Um, who taught her that she could do anything. Um, So she grew up very self-sufficient. And then she had two daughters of her own. And um, I lost my dad to a car accident when I was a really little girl. And so she was left as a single mom with two kids. And she wanted us to grow up believing that we could do anything and that we could be self-sufficient. So I um, grew up sort of swimming in the water of a woman can do anything a man can do, and she can probably do it better. (laughs) Yeah. So um, that's awesome. So that's how I grew up. And um, that was the church that we went to was a Christian Reformed church. And they were sort of at the edge of the envelope of um, trying to um, create space for women in ministry. So... um, we were sort of the rebel church in town mm. in the sense that we had female deacons before um, the CRC synod said it was okay. We had female elders before it was okay. And then um, when I left to go to college, we even had a female pastor before it was supposed to be okay. So that's sort of the church environment I grew up in. So um, I guess I didn't, I didn't, I grew up with the idea that women can be in ministry, but I also grew up with the idea that nobody else thought that that was true. So the fact Uh, that it was like, it was a rebellious, um, frowned upon thing, and it was sort of a spitting in your face, we're going to do it anyway, kind of approach. Um, And I understand why it needed to be that way, probably in that, or I understand why the, you know, the, why it was fought that way. Um, But growing up in that environment um, sort of turned me off to the whole idea of church ministry. Um, Mm. But then actually later on, which I can get to later, but I actually later on, I remembered that in middle school when I was making my profession of faith, um, the mentor I was working with asked me what I thought I might want to do, you know, with God in the future. And I said, I think, I think God might be calling me to be a pastor, Mm -hmm. which I only remembered much later in life um, because I promptly forgot that during a period of rebellion when I walked away from the church and everything that it had to do with. Um, But it was... In my 20s, um, I came into coming back to the faith. I was actually um, teaching at a school. Um, I had gotten a job at a Christian Reformed school because I knew how to speak the language well enough to get my foot in the door. And um, I had to teach through the Old Testament, uh, through the book of Judges primary, was you know the part that I remember most. And I remember the cycle of, t- as I'm teaching through this book of the people are constantly turning against God and God is constantly saving them from all of their disasters and giving them another chance. And it was during that period of time when I went, oh, maybe God will give me another chance. And um, the community that I fell back into in that period of time was a reformed, charismatic, complementarian community. Mm. So oh, very yes, one of those. Yeah, very strong perspectives of what men and women, um, what their roles were, how those roles were supposed to be played out in relationship to one another. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I would say that is the, exactly the kind of community that I needed to be in because up until that point, I didn't have any respect for men, none. Mm. Um, because I had grown up with that idea that women can do anything and they can do it better. And so it mm. took that, 
that complementarian community where there was actually a very loving idea of headship in the sense that headship is the man dies first. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the woman follows suit. Um, so it was that kind of community that helped me actually gain respect for men being ministers of the gospel, because up until then, I don't think I really believed that. So that may be a very different story than a lot of women yeah. have, but that's the story I carried around is that like, we don't need men except for procreation mm -hmm. until I came into this community where I was like, wow, men actually have a lot to offer to the church. Um, and then that threw me into a tailspin of um, maybe men should be the ones leading the church because the way that I saw church happening before was pretty aggressive, um, pretty strident. And then in this community, it's much more grace-filled, much more merciful. So maybe women have no business leading in the church because look what it looked like before. So, um, so then it was a long road to get back to a place where I could actually believe that God was still calling me into ministry like he had been when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you kind of you pit-stopped with, well... I'll just marry a pastor. Yeah. That'll probably, <laughs> I'll be a pastor's wife and that'll sure, be. Sure. And then I can just sort of help without actually having a role. So yeah, that, I kind of did fall in that. It was really Jeff who kept calling me into the reality of, no, you actually have a ministry that's uniquely yours and not mm. just attached to mine. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was really um, like, it was my brother's that were able to call me forth back into, that were able to call me into ministry after that season of believing I was disqualified because ministry got ugly, Yeah, you know, when women were in charge in my growing up. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's unique in terms of the stories we've yeah, heard. Yeah. I haven't heard anything like that. And I think really important yeah. part <laughs> of this conversation. Thanks. Yes. Sid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about Jeff? How about for you? Uh, I know that you also grew up, you you also age. <laughs> Every as the day. years go as the years go by, you seem to be aging at the same pace as the rest of us. <laughs> so you, uh, yeah, tell us a, bit, a little bit about how you grew up and your uh, thoughts and experiences about. Yeah, this. I was raised uh, in California Bay Area, really friendly fundamentalist is what I would say, dispensational actually. Oh, wow. So I don't know how many dispensationalists you've had on the show yet, but I would like to add to that number. Very but I was raised like very conservative, very, um, and, but very friendly. And so there wasn't like this um, super <laughs> bashing of like egalitarian, at least yeah. not that I picked up. There yeah. wasn't like a, there wasn't a bashing of all the things we're against. It was yeah. just a strong statement of the things we're for. So I'm picturing, um, Jeff, I'm picturing like, <laughs> Like Ned Flanders, basically. Friendly fundamentalist. Actually, I think that's pretty close. That's pretty, yeah. like, <laughs> Sweater vest. You're like, you can be accidentally really offensive, but not purposely really offensive. Right, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I got so it. That, that's I, me. That, you, friendly, everybody yeah. listening now knows me. <laughs> offensive. I was also thinking the friendly fundamentalist would make a great name for like a, uh, like a super hipster like bar. Yeah. In like downtown uh, Austin. Right. The friendly fundamentalist. Right. Or at least an IPA. Right. Yeah. Maybe Whoa. it's just one beer from a like mm -hmm. a brewery. The mm -hmm. Grand Rapids is the beer capital of the U.S. There's a lot of good beer yeah. up there. So, yeah. so okay. So, right. so I was raised very complementarian, um, but not, um, but not in the negative sense. You know, my mom was very strong. I, I knew a lot of strong and independent women. Uh, certainly, my sister was very strong and independent. So I kind of had, kind of this implicit kind of male headship mainly the church kind of practice theology, but then like kind of a real strong experience of, well, you know, women do all sorts of things. 
So like in the community that I met Sid with, um, I was complementarian and the group was complementarian and we uh, were dating kind of in that framework, but really kind of starting to question it a little bit as we got engaged. Uh, and then I went off to seminary and I, it was kind of this weird dual trajectory of in seminary. Uh, I had, um, I fell in with this group that was like very much questioning that whole perspective. Uh, and we fell in with the church that definitely questioned that perspective. And so, uh, which was life on the vine and we went there before I went on staff. And so there was kind of this, uh, for me, and then I was married to a real strong woman in Sid who I thought had all these great gifts. And I was like, how come, like, where's her place in, in the mm -hmm. church for all these things? So there was kind of just through just being immersed in a different kind of community um, and then really being married to Sid being like, well, there's no reason why she's not a pastor and I am a pastor. Like, that's ridiculous. So it was kind of this slow process. <laughs> but it, uh, well, it's true. So yeah. and part of, part of the, so, and I, I guess I'll kind of skip to the end. But my experience is the typical, especially white male experience of, oh, you feel you have your own feeling of calling and you're white and you're male. Well, we'll give you lots of opportunity to explore that. And then, you know, so you get all the support, which is usually totally unjustified. Uh, and then women who have tons of uh, anointing and blessing and gifts get hardly any opportunity then to explore that. And so like mm. Sid and I lived into this situation where I have all this opportunity heaped upon me and she's kind of like, uh, you know, nobody's looking to her for anything besides like potlucks and piano and things, you know, <laughs> pastor's wife. And, and children's like, ministry. Children's ministry. Which, yep. Good. Which she does fantastically. So it's really hard to kind of kick that, that <laughs> kind right. of, uh, stereotype right. when yeah. she does those things. So, yeah. so anyway, so that's kind of the, the and I do play the piano, by I the way. Wow. Yeah, I've heard it. Living into all of it. <clears throat> Her great. potluck game is also strong. Yeah. I mean, you're a trifecta <laughs> pastor's wife, Sid, is what we're right. saying. Triple, triple threat. Triple threat. <laughs> yeah, so this is interesting. So both of you grew up with uh, strong women models. So w a woman leading in like her strength wasn't scandalous or uh, brand new or even... Or yeah, even but I would say that like the women leading that I saw growing up. And of course, I just want to, first of all, give the caveat that we all imagine our childhoods differently than they probably were. Like right. my interpretation of reality is probably not what was actually going on, sure. but I interpreted the environment that in where like every woman that I saw leading seemed to be, um, having an agenda, you know, mm. like she wasn't, uh, it was really that there was something behind what she was saying or doing that was like furthering the cause of women more than it was necessarily a like a pure embodiment of the gospel, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So and I would say for me, like I didn't have any sort of imagination of what it looked like to be truly feminine and spirit empowered because the women that I saw leading were much more of the stereotypical, like tomboyish, like, and I understand now with compassion why she did what she did. But the first female pastor in our church, she would wear this black choir robe every Sunday because she didn't want people picking apart what she was wearing, which I understand. Oh, man. Right. But because of that, it was almost as if she had covered up any semblance of her femininity. Hmm. And she was literally like a talking head. Um, and so she wasn't an embodied woman. She was hmm. um, trying to sort of not be female while still like it was, I mean, and I, I have so much compassion for all the reasons that she did what she did. But at that point in time, sure. to me, it looked like she was trying to be a man. Right. And so it wasn't until I saw Cherith Fee Nordling speak at Missio Alliance, totally feminine, totally woman, completely powerful, filled yes. with the spirit yes. that I went, Oh my goodness, 
that's what it can look like to be an empowered, spirit-filled woman who speaks with authority. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yes. We we had another uh, friend of ours, Tara Beth Leach, on our <clears throat> podcast, and she also articulated. Uh, for her, it was Mandy Smith. I know you know right. Mandy as well. She, yeah. And she saw Mandy at that same gathering, Sid, leading and operating as a she was kind of like the host or the MC she, yeah the MC of the of, conference and and for her her testimony is I finally kind of saw myself mm-hmm. in Mandy in a way that felt you know this is kind of a uh, tricky word but felt authentic and and real rather than a show or I'm hiding something or I'm pretending to be yeah. somebody I'm not Right. Yeah. Because I think the thing that maybe men don't remember is that you guys have like thousands of people to give you ideas of like, yes, I'm kind of like that. I'm not really like that. That's kind of like me. That's kind of like, but we don't have that. And so like, there aren't that many women that we can watch and learn from and give us an imagination really. And so it wasn't until Cherith gave me that imagination for what it could look like to be a spirit-filled, powerful woman who wasn't pushing an agenda. Yeah. And I, I hear you saying, too, that, that that freed you then from this other, like, you, you'd experienced that uh, sort of modeling in a negative way, where right. you saw a woman doing something that you thought, I don't, I don't resonate Here's with that. Here's what I don't want to be. Don't, I, don't, I don't resonate with that. I don't want to be that. Right. Um, yeah. But there's, a, there's an amount. Of, and I, I hear you also saying, like, you spent some time sort of resisting that as well, then, mm-hmm. that that actually became embedded in your theology. And you thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's why women aren't supposed to lead until well, yeah, you saw and, this embodied example. Yeah. Yeah. And then combine that with the fact that I am an Enneagram 8, which ah. means that there is a lot of power always waiting to get out. Mm. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, there, and I would, about the power thing too is that, um, that was a big, really big revolution for me when I learned to look at power different as a good thing, because I will say like the men in my life were always like, and because I've been in an Anabaptist um, ethos, you know, the idea is like, you're always giving away power. Power is a bad thing. You never want to, you never want power. You never want to mm-hmm. grasp power. You never mm-hmm. want to use power. You always give your power away. Well, that was always kind of confusing for me because I don't think I have natural power like men do. And so when I read Mary Kate Morse, she wrote a book on, um, I think it's like, what is it? Making room for leadership. It's like power, space, and influence. I think that's it. And um, she talked about like how, if we think about power, like an economic system, um, there's like, there's the the economic systems of like, everybody believes that there's plenty, like an, like the, econo- the economics of plenty where like, there's plenty of stuff out there. Just go grab your own. This is mine. You go get yours. And then there's the um, economy of like a, like a more communal economy where there's a limited number of resources and these resources need to be for all of us and we need to figure out how to distribute them and use them wisely. Hmm. And she used that to talk about power and how like in the Western world and especially, you know, many men live with the idea of like, well, this power is mine. You go get your own. Um, and she talked about power being more like there's only a limited amount of power within a group of people. And the people in that group decide who they're going to give their power to, who they're going to entrust um, with their power. And then that power sort of gathers in the one or two people that they have entrusted with that power. And so that was so helpful for me because Jeff always calls me a reluctant leader because I wouldn't lead until it became clear that nobody else was going to. And I was sort of like left to like, okay, well, if nobody else is going to do this, I guess I'll do it. 
And I finally saw that what was happening is that people were entrusting me with power. And I was abusing that by denying that I had any power and refusing to use that power on behalf of the good of the whole group. Hmm. And it wasn't until I read that book that I was like, oh my goodness, power is a good oh. thing. Power is actually neutral, right? It can either be abused or it can be used well. And so it was like when I realized that, then it was like, oh, people are actually handing me power because they trust me. And when I refuse to pick up that power and use it for the good of the group, I'm actually abusing the trust they've placed in me. Hmm. And so when I figured that out and was able to be like, okay, these people trust me, I can use my power because they've given it to me. And then that's, I think, when, my, when ministry really sprang open for me and when I was really able to operate in the power and the authority of the Spirit because I was no longer afraid of power. Right. Um, yeah, so that was a yeah. pretty huge shift for me. Yeah, so it's like the icon you had in your mind was, was a certain kind of abusive power. Where well, right, I and I think because it, I was surrounded by people who never wanted to have the power because they were right. trying to be sanctified and that laying was, down their lives. Right, that was their own sanctification. Right, but, in but a way, my sanctification needed to look like being exactly. willing to take the power, yeah. Yeah. Being yes. willing to carry the power. Yeah. Yeah, your sanctification worked in the opposite direction. Exactly. And so, man, that's really fascinating. Really helpful to hear. Yeah, how about... Jeff, as you, well, I, there's I'm like seven, there's it. 70, yeah, can we just have a moment of silence <laughs> for Mary Kate Morse? Uh, she's, she's still with us. And cheers so. <laughs> They're all still alive. We don't know, though, yeah. when you'll be listening to this podcast, maybe True. sometime in the future. Two 2,000 years in the future. <laughs> no, uh, no, I mean, I'm just, yeah, it doesn't make for a great podcast, but I have, I'm thinking a lot about what you just said, Sid. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, I'd love to hear your reflections on this as well. I know, I think Sid's given us a helpful framework to think about all of us have relationship to power and influence and authority, and our sanctification or our maturing as followers of Jesus can follow different trajectories. Uh, some of us need to lay down uh, the power. Some of us need to take up the power. How, how in particular, I know that you and I co-pastored together, then you co-pastored with your wife, then you've co-pastored with other women too. Like, what have you learned about being leading alongside women, uh, not in sort of a in, indifferent or ignorant way, but in an engaged, empowering way? What are some of the things you've discovered as you've done that? Yeah, well, uh, so I'll, I'll kind of maybe get back to the power question or the, um, like, how do you carry your cross as a leader? Um, so I'll get... I kind of get back to that in a roundabout way, but I think <clears throat> like initially, like my first lesson, uh, not necessarily related to with Sid, um, was connected with leadership development. So how do you de identify and develop leaders? And for good or for bad, I think, uh, you know, I was kind of raised in the sink or swim model of leadership development, which is, um, you know, people that God is calling, they will hear God's call, they'll respond to it, then they'll kind of offer themselves then you entrust them in small areas of ministry and at fruitfulness is identified, then you can trust them in more, you know, and they'll kind of be developed through a coaching initiative kind of framework. Uh, and so that was kind of how I fell in or just kind of in my own life. And I'm like, again, I'm, I, I'm the friendly fundamentalist, but I have these like, but I have these deep streams of very drivenness. So I can be very driven while also being seeming like mellow and laid back. And so I kind of imputed that on other people. Like, well, when I see other people, functioning the way I function in life, then I'll 
I'll know that they're probably leadership material or it's being called into ministry and things like that. And so after a couple of years, um, one, I found that that's not a great method just for about anybody. But, <laughs> but, not, but two, not even for I you. Found, not even for those yeah, of us who are driven. It's a pretty bad method. Yeah. But two, I found that that especially does not apply for women, is that women um, need a lot more support. This is culturally um, and um, socially in the sense of like they're not given a lot of inf- affirmation in general. So they're like affirmation sales that are blowing them across the seas of, you know, ministry chaos or is not that strong mm-hmm. uh, that they're not given a lot of kind of natural resources or opportunities, you know, so their tanks are not as full and um, they're just, you know, not to make extreme statements, but you know, like women are more relationally connected, intuitively connected. And if you're not connecting mm-hmm. with them, then they're going to internalize that as either something being wrong or disapproval or failure and that'll cause them to just maybe distance themselves or remove themselves from ministry so so the kind of sink or swim method is just horrible for women uh and so i learned that kind of early on like oh if we're going to identify and develop women then we need to totally change or at least i needed to totally change how how i did that Hmm. the other thing is then also how do you how do you create um relational systems that women can be a part of Kind of like what Sid said about like preaching and seeing a woman preach that fully brings her, you know, femininity is, you know, a personality men can create um, decision making, just meeting protocols, just all sorts of systems that are very alienating to women. Um, And so how do you kind of keep emotions like, is it okay to cry in a meeting? Like, you know, this is like a fundamental question. Is it okay to cry in a meeting or have you ruined the meeting? And so like, um, You know, and, and women will internalize this as I'm not allowed to cry in a meeting, e- even tears of joy, tears of passion, or tears of sorrow. Like that's out of place yeah. in a pastoral meeting, right? Go figure. Yeah, let's pause here um, for a second, Jeff. I want to pause. I want to cut you off. Okay. Uh, because I think that's a specific artifact that has been shaped by what I would say a toxic and deficient masculinity. Absolutely. Amen to that. That we foist, like, that. I don't, I don't know if we're like, you know, hey, rule number one of this meeting is no crying. Like, we don't have to actually say yeah. that, but it's... Because everybody well, knows it. Everybody knows it. Yeah. And if somebody yeah. cries, what happens? People get uncomfortable. The mm-hmm. person who cries apologizes profusely and feels tons of shame. Mm-hmm. And that's how you and know you've all, broken the rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the only... Um, the only emotion you're allowed to show as a man in a meeting is anger, because that means you're... That means you're passionate. passionate. But if a woman shows anger, that oh, means boy. Mm, I won't <laughs> just fill in fill in the, the itchy words. There's different names. Mm-hmm. There's different names than passionate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so there's a total double standard when it comes to yeah. which emotions can be shared right. and what they mean by gender. So all yeah. these so all these things, so, all these, I, I, I hear the I hear the point that. there. Sorry, Jeff. One more I just want to make sure people are hearing the point. Like it isn't that men are inherently this way and women are inherently another way. It's that socially speaking, we've been formed and shaped by a toxic masculinity, toxic patriarchy into these places, which necessitates, which necessitates dealing with it in the ways that you're talking about. Right, Jeff? Right. That, that's what you're saying. Great. All right. Keep going. Okay. So what else am I saying? That- <laughs> I can't remember. What else were you saying? Well, no, I think this is, a, this is, no, impor- this is important. Uh, there's, you know, so we could take probably 17 things if we had time. But, but like our relationship to emotion and the, what emotion does in a community is one of those invisible barriers that keeps women like on the sidelines and margins of leadership spaces. Mm. 
unless we name it and own it as men, as the gatekeepers, if you will, to the leadership spaces, like we can't ever do anything about it. It just, it runs the show unless we explicitly name it, right? right? So as men, we need to start naming that we have five emotions, happy, hungry, horny, uh, (laughs) angry, and tired. And like at least, (laughs) at least two or three of those things aren't even emotions, Right, they're just like bi- like biological chemical responses. So like oh, we hunger, hunger is an emotion. Okay, <laughs> that's definitely maybe hangry would hangry, be five hangry, and a half. Exactly. Right? But no, like that's. I mean, we're we're stifled and stilted as men. We have no access to our emotional life, and what happens then is not that we're less emotional. Right. It's that repressed and stifled emotions run the show without us knowing about it. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. from that repressed, stifled place, we're like, well, she can't lead because obviously she can't keep her composure in a difficult situation like uh, I can't. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you've just blown the doors off. No, so Therefore, like, she's, she's disqualified for ministry because she started crying. You know, There we go. And there's another thing that women deal with is that like people are always looking at the one woman who's leading and going, that's why oh. it's either okay or it's not okay. Yeah. Right. Well, and the, and the difficulty is... It's funny. Uh, nobody nobody looks at Bill Hybels and goes, that's why white men can't lead the right. church. <laughs> that right there. That's why we... No more white men as yeah, pastors. Yeah. Nobody did that. Nope. Right. Yeah, so. right. And so there's a... Yeah. So there's a lot of things. Um, just to go jump back to what Sid said about like the power and things like that. I know like, um, you know, for people like us, and I'm assuming like the listeners in the podcast, you know, the men listening are trying to take seriously, what does it mean to have power right, or privilege? Sure. How to divest themselves of it? Um, but the, the hard lesson I've had to learn in, in relationship to Sid, but then also other women is their internal narrative has almost nothing to do with that. Um, and mm. so like the call, we're all called to be conformed to Christ. We're all called to pick up our crosses and follow him to die daily and these types of things. But the idea of dying to yourself as a white male, who's been given probably way too much power and opportunity, who then needs to divest it and get to throw it in other streams is my version of carrying the cross in a leadership kind of function. But that almost has nothing, you know, <laughs> that almost speaks to Sid and other women in, that does no good work because she actually needs to say, Hey, I have power and I need to give it. Yeah. I need to give, I need to give my power to the group by affirming things that I see. Yeah. But you, Jeff, or you other white men need to need to relieve yourself of power by not saying things. And this is actually the, 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 the difference that I've found is like a lot of times I I've trained myself to try to offer my opinion last in a group or to offer my ideas for a ministry situation last in a group, because if I offer it too quick, it just runs the table. Um, but with women or especially with people of color, it's kind of like, I, I don't need to do that. My, frankly, my idea probably sucks anyway. So mm. why should it run the table? Mm. Um, but the internal narrative that Sid or and Sid, you can jump into this. Um, the self-talk is that women already have the self-talk of my idea is probably stupid yes. or people of color have the self-talk, you know, of like this idea doesn't fit or it's not going to work. Yeah. Right. So their carrying of the cross actually means saying no to that voice. I'm right. like waving my hands emphatically for those of you who can't see me saying <laughs> no to that voice and then serving the community by offering their idea. But mm. I serve the community by not offering my idea. Yes. Right? Yes. So it's a totally yeah. different, it's a totally different and, thing. So Sid, do you want to jump in and add to that? Well, can I give a picture real quick of what happened? You got really animated there, Jeff. You ripped your shirt off, stood on your chair. <laughs> Yeah. And you were all my hair shaking out. back and forth. Yeah. Your fist frothing at the, at frothing the mouth. At the it was mouth. incredible. Just want to fill the picture in. So at yeah. worst yeah. case scenario. As, as friendly fundamentalist. <laughs> friend, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With you never, frenzied friendly fundamentalist. Strangely, frothy, you ripped off his shirt and there was a sweater vest underneath. And we we're like, what? 
<laughs> anyway, um, no. Uh, so yeah, and then worst case scenario is our attempt at like uh, our attempt at sort of uh, helping other people to be sanctified, where our sanctification is laying down power. That can actually feel and seem oppressive to others yes. who like they need to move in the opposite direction. But if all they're heard is like, no, you need to lay down. You need to go to the mm-hmm. cross. You need to. You need to lay down your ego, lay down your ego, like all that stuff that's important for us uh, actually feels oppressive to women or people of color. Yeah. Yep. I would agree because usually like when I'm, when I'm listening to, especially during brainstorming sessions, a lot of times the idea I want to offer, I know is going to sound so harebrained and out of the box that like, Mm -hmm. I don't really want to offer it because it's just so far outside of what everybody else is talking about. Hmm. But that's, but when I do offer it and like now that, you know, now that I'm trying to live more into the power that this, you know, the power of the spirit, like when I do offer it, usually people are like, Oh, wow. Like we really need to think about that. That's a really good idea, but it takes so much courage to offer it because I know it's going to sound like one of these things is not like the other, you know, like, yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like, like I know Mandy Smith talks about like translating, right? Like women always have to translate the language that men speak so that we can understand it but we rarely expect men to translate us, you know? So like being able to speak and say like, I know you don't really understand me, but you know what? Deal with it. I'm always translating you. You can translate me once in a while. Yes. And like, we don't really do that. Yes. Ben and I were talking about this earlier today that women, we'll just talk about women here, uh, not persons of color, other other minority of people marginalized, but just like women. Well, let me just say, I'm speaking for myself. I keep saying women. I should just say I, because not all women are like me. What you're describing, Sid, is that you had to develop, because you're operating and dealing in masculine uh, male spaces, you've had to develop this deep empathy and sensitivity and connection and self-awareness and how to navigate sticky places, and you're always doing this translating. That is an incredibly necessary leadership competency yes. that most men who never never become aware of like the hegemony of their presence and like how th- how this culture is fully shaped by their preferences and desires they never have to translate anything mm-hmm. because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm, I'm just objectively looking at things and we're just we're just speaking like it is yeah. you know what I mean there's a they, bunch of dudes and they don't realize they're actually being deferred to space is being made for them right? Yeah, that, and we don't realize that, and so like, but that—that's actually one of the leadership competences we actually train people to do. Yeah. And most of the men are very unfamiliar with it, but like a lot of the women are naturals at it. Well, and I think that's why it's so be. important for men and women to minister alongside one another because yes. both are needed so desperately. Yeah. And I, you know, and I just want to throw another name. I mean, Carolyn Custis James and her work with women as the Azer warrior has also mm-hmm. been really transformational for me in the sense that women speak words of courage, they speak identity into men. You know, they say, this is who you are, continue to be that, like to call forth, like you are a whole person, you do have emotions, I give you permission to feel things and to, you know, like to be able to speak those words of life into our brothers, I think is a, is a gift that women off, like the friendships that I have with men who are pastors, I feel like they are willing to to share things with me and say things to me and feel things in my presence that they don't feel the permission to feel or say when they're around other men. Hmm. Um, and I feel like that's such a valuable gift that women can offer to men in leadership is that, you know, to create a different kind of space where like, it's okay for you to be fully human and not live in this toxic masculinity world that is expected of you. Hmm. 
Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's awesome. like a huge, like if I could speak to the sisters who are listening here and maybe Sid, you could add to this. Like I, I would just say, you know, please be bold with your brothers in ministry because we really need it. Like Sid has this like side ministry of going to conferences, asking men, how are they doing? And they just start weeping because, yeah. you know, it's like us as dudes, we, you know, like I see my pastor friends, I only see a couple years at a time, you know, and we hug, how's it going? Right. Yeah. But we're not always going deep, you know, but like, I think the sisters, like, you know, you can get there a little quicker with us and, you know, and it, we need it. So I don't know. Mm. That's good. Well, I, um, I'll just say this as we close, Sid, your friendship and leadership in my life has been a gift. I am, I am uh, not who I, um, I am who I wouldn't be without you. <laughs> how's that for a, con- how's that for a convoluted compliment? Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate, I really appreciate your giftedness. So glad that you are stepping into that. Yes. Yeah, I benefit. I know Ben has benefited. I have to. Uh, Jeff probably does. Who knows? And, no, Jeff <laughs> definitely does as well. And this church that you guys are just starting at, they will definitely benefit. Um, I w- I'd love to have you guys back on. Yeah. Uh, because I think point. there's more conversation to have on uh, developing an imagination for how to be alongside someone who isn't your spouse, right? Hmm. How do we develop healthy friendships? Because I think a lot of the narrative about men and women in the church is how do we keep away from bad things happening? Sure. Yeah. But how do how how what have you learned on how to and uh, cultivate good things happening mm-hmm. in a friendship? So would you guys be willing to come back and chat about that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. And we could talk more. I don't you know. Maybe it's a super niche audience, but more of like ministering as husband and wife. We got a f- doozies of a. <laughs> stories on that i'd love to hear those stories too i would too i mean i tell stories about ministering with ben he's my ministry spouse yeah but it's not the same it's not the same the same because we're both dudes yep (laughs) yeah well you guys bless you yeah thanks so much for uh joining us thank you and uh being willing to share some of your experiences with us we'll put all those resources you named sid in the show notes if you want to uh get those books and those authors we'll do that for you sure great peace all All right bye-bye okay bye Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question, suggest a topic for future episodes. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful throughout the week. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.